Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. I'm Mike and Davina, and I'm so happy you've joined me today. I've got a great episode ahead for you. And in this episode, we're going to be covering where to start with a fresh mix and what order of instruments you should be going in. And also, why is the vocal the most important element of your mix and why you need to be paying attention to that. We're also going to talk about how to find the right balance of effects in your mix, as well as getting a really good, clean, balanced low end and some tips for how to do that. So let's dive in. So our first question comes from Wade, and he asks, I've heard a lot of people say that the lead vocals, or vocals in general, are the main focus of any song, and they should be mixed first with everything else following suit afterwards. Do you usually follow this rule? Sometimes I find that I more so want to get a great sound for my instruments and then mix my vocal to the instrumental afterwards. What do you recommend? Is it just personal taste as long as you get a great mix in the end? Well, Wade, that's a really good question. I know there's a lot of people on both ends of the spectrum, people who start with the vocals and people who do the vocals last. Personally, I like to start with the instrumental first. And the reason for that is because when I'm mixing everything, I want to make sure that I have enough headroom in my mix. And to me, having all the instruments play throughout the entire track is going to give me a much better idea of what the average volume is in my mix and how much headroom I have. You know, having 20 tracks or more combined is going to equal a lot more volume than just one one track and then layering a bunch of stuff around it. So for me, I personally like to just tackle my drums first, then I usually go to my bass, my guitar, my keyboards, my vocals, and go in that order. And I also find that with your vocals, you want your vocals to be very present. Obviously, your, vo- your vocals are the most important thing in your mix. They're the thing that people are going to relate with the most, they're going to sing along with, and you need them to be nice and clear so that people remember the song a lot easier, right? But at the same time, too, you don't want your vocals to sit way too on top of your mix and be totally detached from the rest of the music. So I find that I like to just get my music sounding really good first, get the energy and everything that I want from the music, and then I'll add the vocals in afterwards and blend them in so that they're really cohesive with the rest of the instruments. That's just my personal approach. And like you kind of said in your question, I don't think it really matters which approach you do, if you do vocals first or vocals last, as long as you end up making a great sounding mix in the end. But for me personally, I just like to make sure that I create the energy in the music first and then get the vocals to match that energy. And also from a headroom perspective, I know that once I start to add in the drums, I'm going to start to get these spikes in my meters from all the quick hits. So I like to make sure that I've kind of taken care of those peaks first and then I have the headroom, which I can add the vocals to afterwards. And as long as I've left adequate room in my mix, I can add the vocals without fear of overloading anything and getting into any sort of distortion or clipping. Now doing it this way, it's important to just realize that just because you've mixed your instrumentals first doesn't mean that you have to commit to it and that your instruments are done and that you don't have to go back and retouch those. So once you add the vocals into it, you're going to have to switch back and forth between the vocals and the instruments and try to find the perfect marriage. You might need to EQ some frequencies out of certain instruments to make room for your vocals. Like I said earlier, I mean, you want your vocal to be really clear and to be the thing that everyone can hear and identify with and hear all the words. 
So you might need to cut out some high frequencies from maybe the cymbals or uh, some top end on your guitar or something like that to carve out some space for the vocals. But you just got to find that perfect marriage between the two. And don't just commit to the idea of, well, I already mixed my instruments, so they're done, and now I'm just adding an extra vocal on top. If you do it that way, you're going to run into a lot more problems. So I hope that helps. So our next question comes from Joe, and he says, When it comes to reverb, what do you listen out for when bringing that stuff in or taking it away? Do you mix a track and add a reverb at the end, or do you start with it? That's a really good question, Joe. I've actually had a lot of people ask me the same thing. The first thing I like to do is just listen to the genre. So listen to some reference tracks and figure out what that genre normally sounds like. So for example, if I was working with a punk band, well, most punk bands don't really play in big auditoriums, so I'm not going to need to have this really long reverb with tons of decay. Most punk bands are pretty dry and pretty raw and dirty, so that gives me a much better idea of the amount of reverb that I need and the type of reverb that I need as well. The other great thing about listening to reference tracks is that they'll give you a really good idea of what sounds normally are fed into your reverb. So for most rock stuff, generally when it comes to drums, you get a ton of snare track, your toms are also fed there as well, and sometimes you'll even get a little bit of kick as well. You have to be careful with kick because if you feed too much kick to a reverb, sometimes that will make your low end really muddy. As for bass, I never send bass to reverb. Uh, it's just one of those things that I often find I just leave dry right up the center, and that just keeps the driving force of the rhythm there. For guitars, guitars vary. So depending on the type of atmosphere I'm trying to create, if I was doing something that was like just straight up rock, most of the time it's pretty dry. But if I'm trying to create a little bit of space and some, some atmosphere and some vibe to the track, then yeah, maybe I'll add a little bit of reverb as well. For vocals, I usually don't oversaturate vocals in reverb because I find that when you do that, it just creates a lot of mud and makes the vocals hard to hear. That being said, I will usually add a little bit of reverb and just kind of ride the fader at the end of phrases in order to tie certain parts together or fill out some gaps. Usually I'll end up just using a quick delay on vocals, especially for vocals that have a lot of quick words. I don't want the tails of the reverb to be really clouding up the mix, but I find that delay can sometimes add a little bit of depth to the track without it sounding really muddy. So that's what kind of stuff I usually send to a reverb. But in terms of your question about whether to mix with reverb early on or mix with it at the end, I typically like to set up my mix so that I've got everything sounding really good dry. By mixing it dry first, it really just ensures that I've got the right balance of EQ between all of my different instruments and that I can really hear everything audibly. Then once I've got that balance of EQ and leveling, then I'll start to send stuff to my reverb return. In terms of what to send to the reverb return or how much, I like to first think about the type of room that the band's playing in and how would that room react to the different instruments. Usually for rock stuff, if you've got drums in a room, the drums are going to be overpowering everything else and you're going to start to get a lot of reflections in the room because of the loud transients from the drums. So drums I usually send at unity gain on my sends. In terms of guitars or vocals, I tend to put those a little bit lower in terms of the send level. Then once everything's being sent to my reverb return, what I like to do with my reverb return is start with a fader all the way down so that it's absolutely muted. And then I'll ever so slightly bring it in into my mix until I just start to get the right amount of space that I'm looking for. Am I getting the size of the drums that I'm looking for? Am I getting the, the vibe of the track with the guitars and all that kind of stuff? 
And sometimes what you have to do is you have to go back and forth between your sends and just tweak your levels to get the right balance between drums or vocals or guitars, or whatever, whatever you're sending off to it. But I find that by starting off with your return all the way down first and then bringing it up, it just allows you to make sure that you're not overpowering your mix with reverb right away. The other thing I like about this approach too is that because you've already found the perfect balance of EQ between all your tracks and everything sounds good dry, when you start to bring in the reverb, it'll allow you to identify what kind of muddy frequencies your reverb might be adding. And if it is adding any mud, then all you have to do is just EQ it out on the reverb track only. Versus had you started mixing with reverb early on, you might have made some EQ moves to correct for the fact that your reverb was adding a lot of mud. So you might have been boosting or, or cutting a lot of EQ on other instruments and just creating way more work for yourself. So by adding it at the end, it just saves a little bit of time and makes sure that you get the right clarity and balance between your tracks first. So our last question comes from Brendan, and he asks, do you have any tips for getting the low end right so that things don't sound muddy? Definitely, Brendan, there's a couple different tips you can try. The first is mix at low volumes. This is a mistake that I see so many mixing engineers make is that they get really excited about the tracks that they're working on and they tend to crank the volume on their speakers and rock out to their tracks as they're listening. But when you do it like this, you end up stimulating your room. And if your room isn't properly treated, you might end up with an uneven amount of low frequencies that might cause you to make mix moves that actually could be detrimental to your mixes. So for example, maybe you have a room that sounds really dead and it actually sucks out a lot of the low frequencies. If that's the case, you might add a ton of extra low frequencies to your mix to compensate for it. But really, if you listen to on a different set of speakers or in a different environment, that might just be way too much low end. And you can actually end up with the opposite situation too, where you end up with a room that is really boomy. And perhaps your speakers are too close to your walls, and so you're getting these reflections, so you're hearing a lot of bass, but what actually is happening is you don't have enough bottom end in your mix but your room is making it sound that way. So you end up with a thinner sounding track. So the less you get your room involved in your mix, the better the results are gonna be for you. So mixing at a lower volume will definitely help. The second thing I really recommend is using reference tracks. So if you're not quite sure what your room is supposed to sound like or how the low frequencies are supposed to sound like in that room, then definitely put on reference tracks. So find a track that you listen to all the time, maybe what's one of your favorite tracks, you know it inside and out, and you have an idea of how it sounds in terms of the low end, top end, all that kind of stuff. And put that track on and listen to it and compare your current mix against that. Does your current mix sound really boomy? Well, if it does in comparison to that other track, then you need to start cutting some low frequencies and start to thin out that track. Or maybe it's the opposite and you actually need to add some low end in order to make it sound like the other track. So definitely by using reference tracks, you'll have a much quicker idea of where your track stands in comparison to other commercial records out there. And you'll know what kind of moves you need to make in your mixes to make it sound better. So the third thing that I'm going to suggest to help you with low end is to be using high pass filters. I think that high pass filters are probably the most underused tool in most mixing engineers arsenal. And so many people forget to use them, but they help clean up things so easily. A high pass filter just basically cuts out everything that's set below a certain frequency point. So there's a ton of different things that can be adding unwanted low end into your mix. It could be rumble coming from traffic outside. 
and it's making its way through the floors. Or maybe your amp just has like some low-end buzz or um, hum that you don't really need. There's tons of low-frequency stuff that doesn't need to be in your mixes. And by using a high-pass filter, you can really get rid of that stuff. It might not even be stuff that is very audible, but I would still recommend that for any instrument that you don't need that low-frequency content for, just put one on there. And all I do with it is I just sweep the frequency selector until my track starts to sound a little too thin. And once it sounds too thin, I just back it off just a hair. And that's all you need to do. And for a lot of tracks, you're going to get rid of so much mud and it's going to just create so much more space for instruments like your kick drum or your bass to really sit well in the mix. But if you've got all this other nonsense in there that doesn't need to be there, it's just going to cloud up your mix. So definitely things like guitar... Uh, vocals, cymbals, you don't need that low frequency content. So cut it. It'll definitely help. The fourth tip I'll give is using sidechain compression. So a little while ago I made a video that you can check out on the website and it shows how to use sidechain compression between your kick drum and your bass guitar or bass synth or any of that low frequency stuff so that you can make it so that the bass will actually get quieter in volume every time a kick drum is hit. And what that allows you to do is create some energy in the low end, create a little bit of movement so your kick is nice and clear and your bass just gets just a hair quieter just so that the kick and bass aren't fighting for the same frequencies. And you can still keep the energy of the kick drum as well. So check that out on the website. And the last tip I'm going to give you is to separate your bass tracks. One thing that I find myself doing a lot with bass tracks is as soon as I start to mix them, I'll duplicate the bass track. And what I'll do is on one bass track, I will add a high pass filter. And that high pass filter I'll set at 200 hertz. So everything above 200 hertz is going to be heard. Then on the other track, what I'll do is put a low pass filter and I'll set that at 200 hertz so that I'm only hearing stuff from 200 hertz and below. Now what this allows me to do is have separate controls of the low frequencies versus the mids and, and all that kind of stuff. And what I can do with these tracks is I can treat them both independently. So for the one that has everything above 200 hertz, that's where I can usually crank it, add some saturation, some distortion, and get that to cut through the heavy guitar layers and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the track that has only the low frequency content, I can really focus on just getting that in the sweet spot so that I've got just the right amount of bottom end. So having just the low end on one track and then having the mids and high end on another track just really gives you a lot of control over those two ends of the frequency spectrum so that you can really find that perfect blend without relying on too much heavy-handed EQ. So that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope that you guys are finding these podcasts very helpful. And if you have any questions that you would like answered, please make sure to submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. And if you do that, I will be sure to address them in future podcast episodes. So that's all for now. We'll talk soon, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com.